At this time, we are going to look at John chapter 11. And I was going to read the whole thing, but you know what? I'm going to read it as we go through it and speak about it. And um, the title of the sermon today is, Things Do Not... Things are not as they appear to be. Things are not as they appear to be. Now, there is this, this story, and, and it can be very uncomfortable, but I'll just do the brief introduction and leave it at that. Um, there's a story of a, a very wealthy man, and he has a, a very young wife, and he has a very young butler. And uh, one day the wife returns, and she says to the butler, take off my earrings, take off my necklace, and there's another of articles that she goes through and so on. And then at the end of it, she says, don't ever wear my clothes again. (laughs) So, you know, some of you were going, what on earth is Pastor talking about here? You know, so she comes home and, you know, we, we, we watch too much or listen too much to soap operas and stuff or whatever. But our society presents things in very many different ways. And in our life, how many things are not as they appear to be? Things are not as they appear to be. And I think of this story here with uh, Lazarus and uh, his death and his coming back to life, Jesus bringing him back to life. I, I think of this as a story that it's one of those that it's not what it appears to be. Because everywhere along the way, there's something else going on. There's something else happening that is a change that is part of what's happening behind the scene. And in our life, things are not as they appear to be. Because it isn't over yet. This is our lifetime. We have a lifetime to live. And we have a lifetime to deal with circumstances and problems and, and handle them in a way that God is going to receive honor and glory for them and they are not what they appear to be. Now, we can go back in our lives 15, 20 years and maybe remember a situation that was going on at that time and what happened and how that we progressed through it and the changes and all that happened and now we're at another place in our life and we are, we've gone through many places in our life and they're not what they appear to be. So let's begin with John chapter 11, reading verses 1, 2, and 3. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So here is a town, a community that is re- referred to by the three residents who live there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love is so very, so, is so very much sick. Is sick. The one you love so very much is sick. Okay. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are probably the three closest friends of Jesus outside of the disciples. Um, We know that Peter, James, and John are the inner circle of the twelve, and John is the beloved, and he is probably the closest to Jesus of the twelve. Well, with outside of the disciples, there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus often goes to their house, and we have situations where Mary and Martha have... um, you know, Jesus has come in to visit them. Martha's in the kitchen, and Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, and, 
And Martha comes out and tells Jesus, Jesus, you know, get Mary, tell Mary to go in the kitchen and help me because there's lots of things to be prepared. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are, pre- you are troubled about many things. You know, Mary has chosen the best thing to sit here at my feet. So these are things that we see. These are, you know, these are the individuals that are part of this story. And there's very, um, very uh, great, there's, there's great connecting thoughts, great connecting emotions, because it says here, the one you love very much is sick. So there was no doubt in Mary and Martha's life about Jesus and his love for the three of them. That he loved them, that he, he was their best of companions and friends. He was just very much involved in their life. And so they sent word to Jesus, the one you love very much is sick. But verse 4, when Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion for, for, to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Now, here we're challenged with the response of Jesus. He is waiting. Now, there, the one commentator uh, that I was reading on this, and I, I had thought this but never read it before, that by the time the message got to Jesus that Lazarus is sick, the messengers, you know, they didn't send telegraphs and give a phone call or a text message. You know, there's a, there's a little saying that was, was that the instant communication. I read that the first time, and it says, I thought it said the insane communication. <laughs> it was up at the store, whatever, where you buy your phone. And I looked at that, and I said, the insane communication. I said, that doesn't sound right. And then, of course, it's instant. But uh, it was applicable, insane. So we live at an insane pace that everything is instantaneous, um, you can send messages around the world by pushing a button. You can send pictures around the world by pushing a button. And so by the time the message got to Jesus, Lazarus was probably dead. So it isn't like, and, and some have interpreted this, this situation, that Jesus received the word and he said, I'm not going. We're going to wait for him to die and then I'm going to go. Well, it's not what happened. The sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Challenge. It's not what it appears to be. The Scripture says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God has a way of working things out in our life. Things are not finished yet. Life isn't over. Obstacles that we face can change. Difficulties that we are encountering will change. It's just a matter of how we are going to see them, work with them, work through them. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and her sister, and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now, here we have an understanding. Jesus loves these three. You know, he loves all of us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. You know, who's the world? Us. Why did God die for us? He loves us. He looks beyond our faults, sees our need. There's a love that God has for us. 
that is unmatched, unparalleled. So God loves us, and he loves us because of who we are and because of the relational experience that he wants with us and that he has with us. So he loved these three very, very much, but oddly, he stayed on where he was for two more days. Challenge. Things are not what they appear to be. Sometimes God doesn't come through the way that we pray. Sometimes our prayers just don't seem to work. And we wonder, why doesn't God do what I tell him? (laughs) Basically what we're saying. I've told him what he should do, and he doesn't do it. Therefore, something is wrong with him. (laughs) Uh, Or that the situation is out of control. But either way, we look at this, and again, it's not what it appears to be. And after two days, Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. Now, there's a problem with going back to Judea. Verse 8, Rabbi, you can't do that. You can't go back there. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? So Jesus knows that this is, not a, a, this is a hot spot for the religious leaders and how that they have been seeking to take his life, arrest him, and to stone him. And Jesus says, we're going back. So his life is on the line for these three individuals and for the two individuals and one who is dead. But Jesus has a purpose in going back. Jesus has a purpose in not coming whenever and answering the prayer as it was stated. Remember there were occasions in which the um, individual came to Jesus and said, my daughter's sick, Uh, will you pray for her? Well, you want me to come with you? No, 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 just say the word and my, and my child will be healed. And Jesus said, no, great, you know, the centurion, great faith. I don't, haven't found it anywhere. Uh, your daughter is well. Man turned and met the messenger coming saying about that the hour that Jesus said that's when his daughter was well. He didn't even have to be present. So here's a situation. God, he's doing it differently. There's something different going on here because he's saying this sickness is not fatal, verse 4. It will become an occasion to show God's glory. In our life, we are challenged by what we believe and how that we believe that God is going to show his glory in our life. How is God going to show his glory in our life? Sometimes it's through our needs and our difficulties. And our prayers are not wrong, but sometimes they're not answered the way that we think. So we don't give up on what God is doing. So, they said you can't go back. They're going to stone you. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. It means that people have equal opportunities to walk in the light or walk in the darkness. We have equal opportunities to follow what we know is right, the light of Jesus Christ, the light of God's Word. We have equal opportunities to do that just as well as to walk in the darkness. So sometimes walking in the darkness is of our own choice because we choose to see things differently. We choose to see things negatively. Take off those earrings. (laughs) Take off that necklace. And we're thinking, where is he going? 
don't wear my clothes anymore. <laughs> so you never thought of that one, did you? Yeah, so. But you see what's going on? Jesus is saying something's not, it's not what you appear and what you think it to be. So the disciples, how do they respond? Well, he said these things and then announced, oh, I'll always go back here, um, might very stumble in the dark in verse 11. He said these things and then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. Oh, well, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. But you see, when Jesus is talking about this, God has a different perspective of life than we do. Jesus knows that Lazarus is dead. But you see, death in our eyes is something we see as final. Jesus sees it as that which is to be awakened from. You know, you never use the analogy of uh, sleep with children and talking about death. You say, well, don't worry, they're just sleeping. Oh, I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> you put me in some box and throw me in the ground. You know, I'm not going to sleep. No, that's not what it is. Death is not sleeping. Death is the body has left. And please, don't ever say that when people die, they become angels. <laughs> because they are not angels. They are people. Angels are created beings, and they are already there's, there's already enough of them, <laughs> and God has them. Angels are angels, and people are people, okay? And that when we die, we don't become angels and grow wings and fly to heaven. We are eternal beings, and God is, we are going to live forever, and guess what? You're going to be you in eternity, and you're not going to be an angel with a halo and wings. Sorry, you know, didn't want to burst your bubble, but that's just it. It's not happening, okay? Because he's not going to make you something that you're not. Second, I have these list of things I wanted to say. Second, there are no racetracks in heaven. Sorry, I come across an individual this, this the last couple of weeks and they said to me, you know, when grandma gets to heaven, she's going to play bingo and go to the racetracks because that's what she did here on earth. I said, okay. You know, I don't think so. That's not in the Word anywhere. You know, uh, there is no racetracks in heaven. Sorry, God doesn't gamble on the horses. Do you see, I mean, people have some really mixed up ideas about life and especially, well, you know, here's another one I always get upset with. <laughs> uh, God doesn't come and take people. You know, it's almost like the body snatcher. You're walking along and zap! He gotcha, you know. You're dead. God took you to heaven. And you have no, no choice over it. And why did he take him? Oh, he loved him. You want God loving you? You know, the things we tell people. You know, God loves you. That's why he takes you to heaven. Snap right out of life and there you go. Don't want God loving me? No, forget that. God receives us into heaven, the gift of eternal life you've already started with. And we are safe always in the hands of God. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God, so get on with living. <laughs> you see, you don't have to worry about dying. Why? Because I'm safe. When I'm safe, it means I'm forgiven. When I'm forgiven, I can live life to its fullest. I have a fullness about my life that is in Christ. 
And see, here is this, this situation that Jesus is telling our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Jesus knows that he is in the grave and in the tomb, but he's going to go wake him up. The dead in Christ shall rise first. The Bible says the dead in Christ. When the trump of God shall sound, the dead in Christ will rise. When we die, our soul and our life and everything that is life in us goes to heaven. But there's coming a day in which the body will rise from the dead. You see, Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept, meaning that he is the first fruits of those who are awakened from the dead. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will quicken your mortal bodies. Whenever sin came into the world, we died physically, we died spiritually. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can live spiritually and we can live physically. We lose nothing through sin. The redemption of Jesus Christ is so complete that we are going to live eternally. We're going to have a new body. It's going to be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, and I will have hair and not be as fat. Just wanted you to know that. And I am going to be able to sing. I don't know that either. But <laughs> I will be able to sing, and either that or you won't hear it. But anyhow, so Jesus is going to wake him up, verse 12 and 13. The disciples said, things are not what they appear to be, remember? The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. <laughs> Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. See how far off course our thinking is? God means one thing, we mean another. Verse 14 and 15. Then Jesus became explicit. explicit. Lazarus has died. And I am glad for your sake that I wasn't there. Because, you see, I'm glad that I did, wasn't there to do the miracle I would have done if I were there. Because there's something greater that God wants to do. There's something greater that God has in mind. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want because he has something greater in mind. And so don't get bent out of shape complaining because God didn't answer our prayers or don't get off track because God didn't do what you wanted him to do in the first place because God has something greater in mind. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. That's what he's telling the disciples. I'm going to give you even greater grounds to believe because this has happened, than if I had been there. Verse 16. That's when Thomas, the one called the twins, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. So they figured if they go back to Jerusalem, they're all going, that Jesus is going to be arrested and killed, and so we might as well go die with him and get it over with. <laughs> you see, they had this preconceived idea that Jesus was going to set himself up on a throne because later on they're going to ask him, uh, can I sit on your right hand and your left whenever you come into your kingdom? You know, They still thought he was going to be like the emperor or like David, the, the, the you know, king of Israel, drive out the Romans, set up a kingdom, and they were going to be his court and they were going to be the ones ruling over everybody else. And so we're, if, he, if he goes there and he's going to start this, rebellion we might as well die with him and it'll all be taken care of verse 17 so they all headed back to jerusalem or bethany when jesus finally got there 
he found Lazarus was already four days dead. So it's been four days. Now there's no embalming and there's none of that. Um, you know, Jewish tradition has it that you have to be buried within 24 hours. If you go to a, a Jewish ceremony today, those who are Orthodox, Orthodox Jews, will bury within 24 hours. They will have someone who sits with the body for 24 hours. Now, it's a ritual that's been going on for thousands of years. Why do you think the ritual is going on for thousands of years? Because a thousand years ago, they didn't have embalming, and they had to sit with the body because keep all the rodents and everything else away from the, from the body. But they've still kept all of those traditions. And see, see, sometimes traditions have a reason why they began, but they're kind of out of place right now. But that's okay that they continue to do that. But there's always something behind, not what they appear to be. So when Jesus got there, he found that Lazarus was dead. Four days. Bethany was two miles away from Jerusalem. Um, many of the Jews were visiting Mary, Martha and Mary. So this is the, the, those who are visiting. Those, they can be friends, family, but they're also paid mourners. It was very important that people be grieved uh, over uh, publicly. And so mourners would come and be part of the whole procession. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. The personalities of Mary and Martha. Martha is this one who's going and doing. She's, the, 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 she's always busy. She's always going. Mary was the one who was more reserved and sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha heard that Jesus was coming. Now, maybe she heard and Mary didn't or whatever was going on. Martha headed out to meet Jesus. Her first words were verse 21. Master, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. See, there are many things that happen in our life that we can tell Jesus, if you'd have done what I told you to, <laughs> it wouldn't be like this. It wouldn't be as bad. So Martha comes right out and says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't be, we wouldn't be going through this. So if you'd have just answered my prayers, came when I come, came when I come, come when I came, come when I sent you, okay, came when I told you to come, there we go. If you'd have just come when I came, it would be okay. <laughs> but Martha goes on, even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. You see, this is one of those occasions when we don't even know what to ask for. Here is Martha Wanting Jesus to know, if you would have come when I sent for you, I, we wouldn't have this problem, but I know you can do anything, but I just don't know how you can fix this one. I just don't know how this can work out. And then Jesus, and this is where the word of God comes into our life. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will be raised, your brother will be raised up. Your brother will be raised up. Do you know, every, at every funeral, whatever we, that I've done, and we talk about the resurrection, trump of God shall sound, dead in Christ shall rise. We live in this hope, and no matter what happens in our life, that no matter where we are at, we always come back to the word of God to bring us comfort in, in each situation. In this situation, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know, verse 24, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. But you see, 
what good is that if you didn't come when I ask you? It's a comfort to know that they're going to live in the end, but for right now, I'm still pretty bummed at this whole situation. Verse 25, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. I am right now resurrection and life. We need to remember those words. Because those are the words that are to be impressed upon our life, impressed upon our minds and our hearts and our spirit. I am right now resurrection and life. Jesus says that. I am right now resurrection and life. That means that right now you are an eternal being. That means right now you're going to live forever. That means that when Jesus is alive in you now, you are an eternal being. You're going to live forever. I am right now resurrection and life. Jesus wants to put that in their hearts and minds because what it appears to be is Lazarus is dead, but Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead, but he also knows in a few more days he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. And he too is going to be placed in a tomb. And their life and their understanding is going to be challenged again by this, these occurrences in life. But never forget, in the challenges of life, I am resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? And this is the challenge that this is where we live in life because we all, we've all been to the cemetery. We've all been there. And you know what? If you live long enough, oh, never mind. But anyhow, <laughs> we're all going to get there one way or another, but we're all going to get to heaven one way or another. We all want to go to heaven, but we all don't want to go, you know, you know, die, and we don't talk about that. So that's why we need to live, live our life every day in the assurance of what God is doing for us. This is your life. This is our life. Let's live it in the strength of God's Word. Verse 27. Yes, Master, all along I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha doesn't understand, but she echoes the word of God. This is, our, this is where we are at. Martha doesn't understand about the resurrection and all that, just someday, someplace, some way, it's going to happen out there sometime. But she echoes what Jesus has said. And this is where we are at in our life. We echo what Jesus is saying to us. Whenever we feel like we're unloved, remember Jesus says, I love you. Whenever we are looking at obstacles that don't fit and don't work, all things work together for good to those who love God according to his purpose. You see, echo the word of God. Echo it. Pray it over ourselves. Pray it over our children. Pray it over your family. Pray it. We pray. Echo the word of God. When you don't understand, echo, repeat, say the word of God. The hope that is in your heart, the hope that is in your life, echo that word. Because that's only our security. Even if we don't understand it in the, in the full context because it, things are not as they appear to be. 
echo the word. Verse 29. The moment she heard that, well, excuse me, after, the, after saying this, verse 27, then we go to 28. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, the teacher is here and is asking for you. She knew that Mary needed to meet with Jesus also because they had both been talking about if Jesus had been here, things would be different. Why do we know that? Because the moment that Mary heard, she jumped and ran out, and Jesus had not yet entered the town, was still in the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw her running off, those who were there, the mourners and so on, were, were with Mary, and they saw her running off, they ran after her, and when Mary came to where Jesus was waiting, she fell at his feet. She didn't go beat him on the chest, <laughs> you know. She fell at his feet. This is a place of respect and honor. And remember, she's the one who poured the oil on his feet and dried it with her hair. And she's the one who worshipped at the feet of Jesus and sat at the feet of Jesus. But even in her sitting there, there were still questions that she had in her life. Master, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, she too is haunted by this. If it had just been different, if you'd, if you'd have just been here, things would be different. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. What is Jesus angry about? He's angry, he's hurt. Anger, pain, and he's hurt by the pain that death brings. Because death was to have no part of our, of our creation and of our life. He created us not to die. But sin brought separation. So his redemption will bring full restoration. When we hurt, he hurts. When you hurt in life, God hurts with you. He said, where did you put him? <laughs> where did you lay him? You see, Jesus knows where Lazarus is. But he wants us to talk with him. And he wants to walk with us through the situations, through our expectations, through our hurts and our sorrows, and know that as he is walking with, through, uh, with us through our hurts and our sorrows, he experiences those very same things. He doesn't say, you stay over there in your pain, I'll go find your brother. <laughs> he says, come walk with me and we will go find your brother. Where is your brother? Where, what is going on in your life? What is happening? Come, let us walk together through this. Verse 34 and 35. Master, come and see, they said, and Jesus wept. He is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Here is the God who spoke the world into existence, weeping with those who are hurting. Because things are not as they appear to be. He is the giver of life. There's nothing he cannot do. And he doesn't take away the pain. He expresses the pain that he feels 
that they feel. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. And then there's the critics. <laughs> well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. <laughs> there's always the critics. Then verse 38, then Jesus, the anger again welling up in him, <laughs> that he's upset over the pain that people feel. Not over the critics, but over the pain that people feel. He arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave on the hillside of a slab, on the hillside with a slab of stone against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. You see, this is where we find the challenge. What is impossible for us? What impossible situation lies behind an impossible barrier? <laughs> what impossible situation lies behind an impossible barrier? And it hurts you very much. And we don't, we don't, sometimes we, somehow we don't think that Jesus is connected with us and with that situation, but he is. He is connected with us, he hurts with us, and he walks with us to that place where the impossible situation lies behind an impossible barrier. Things are not what they appear to be. See? Things are not what they appear to be. You and I can write things up and write them off because we see them very clearly. There's a stone and there's a cadaver. There's a dead person behind it wrapped in, in grave clothes. And, he, you know, it's an impossible situation. All I know is if you'd have done it the way I asked you to, this, we wouldn't be here. And that's right. Because God wanted to do something different that you and I would never imagine possible. Remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, you see, we've got to reaffirm what God doesn't know. Master, by this time, there's a stench. He's been dead four days. Now, if you've been in the Holy Land in Israel, it gets to be 100, 110 degrees, <laughs> and it doesn't take long for the bodies to start to decay. And besides that, it's, it's a sin for the Jewish people to touch the grave. And Jesus is telling them, go roll the stone away because they would become unclean. So, you don't, you know, so they were supposed to stay away from all of this. And sometimes we're supposed to stay away from all those things that we're wanting to happen we're not allowed to happen. So what truth makes the miracle happen? <laughs> what truths do we believe make the miracle even more impossible? There's a stone. He's been in there four days, and he's been, you know, by this time, the decaying process has started. You see what happens when we start looking at things from our own perspective, and it all started because he didn't do what we wanted to him in the first place, and then they begin to progress, and we begin to progress. And the challenge for us is that I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says, and we are to echo the word of God in our lives and into and around our life and the situations that we find ourselves in. Jesus looked her in the eye. This is where the word has to echo in our hearts. Jesus looks into our eyes and into the depths of who we are. And he says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you? And this isn't in a negative thing. This is a very positive, affirming, affirming statement. 
Then I tell you, if you believe, you will see. We want to see it, then we'll believe it. God wants us to believe it, then we'll see it. Then he spoke to the others. Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Remove the stone. Jesus could have caused an earthquake just like at the resurrection that's going to happen in, in a few more days with his own life. He could have caused an earthquake, rolled the stone back, you know. No, you go move the stone. There are some things in our life we are responsible to go and do that we echo the word of God in our life and we put the word of God in motion and we go to that difficulty, that obstacle, and we present and we, as it were, remove the obstacle, the impossible obstacle to face the impossible problem. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, isn't it awesome? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Taught us to pray. He prays here, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. In the King James, it says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And I thought of that so often when I pray, I quote that statement. Father, I thank you that you hear me when I pray. It's an affirmation. No matter what I feel, no matter what I think, there's an assurance that comes to my life. God hears every prayer, every thought, everything in my life. He hears it. He understands it. He's moved by my pain. He is touched by the feelings in my life. He is, he is drawn to my life because of the things that are, I consider impossible. He's not repelled because of what I think impossible. He is drawn to the impossible because he's the God of the impossible. And I'm, I'm contemplating, I'm wondering, I'm believing, I'm asking. Father, I thank you. I'm grateful that you listen to me. And I know that you always listen. But on the account of the crowd, because of the people around me, I've spoken that they might believe you sent me. My prayer is not so much for myself, but I'm stating my prayer because it's important that other people know this isn't my belief. It's, a, it's my understanding of the word of God in my life, and I bring that word to God and ask him, to touch this, this situation, this life. And he does this. Then verse 43, then he shouted. He shouted. Why? <laughs> Lazarus is deaf. <laughs> Lazarus is dead. He's somewhere in a tomb somewhere. He can't hear. No. If Jesus hadn't been specific, everybody in the, tomb, everybody in the cemetery would have come out. Lazarus, come out. Jesus is the giver of life, and life must obey his voice. You see, this is where, this is where we live, that life and the world and everything around us, when we echo the word of God, life must obey the voice of God. That stones will cry out if we don't worship God. That, that the, the whole universe is in travail waiting for the return of Christ. 
It's all going on around us, and it's all going on in us, and, and the Spirit of God is alive inside of us, and it quickens inside of us that, that's, that this is the truth, that God's Spirit speaks to our own lives. Lazarus, come out. <laughs> he came out. A cadaver wrapped from head to toe and with a kerchief over his face. What detail. He come hopping out of the tomb. <laughs> You know, they rolled away the stone and he come hopping out like, where is everybody? <laughs> What's going on? And he comes out of the tomb and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. <laughs> the challenge of where we are at, what we believe, it isn't what it appears to be. When the word of God is spoken through our life and in our life, things happen. The impossible takes place. Not because it's my word. It is God's word in our life. The resurrection and the life is Jesus Christ. And he who believes in him will never die. You believe that? Do you believe that? You will never die. This body may stop functioning, but you will never die. You will not become an angel and sprout wings. I'm sorry, you know, not going to happen. You ain't going to become an angel. You are going to become you in a new body, in a new life for eternity. Eternal life, eternal life has already begun in you and nothing can ever stop it. Neither life nor death, principalities or powers, things present, things past, future, principalities, powers, nothing can stop it. You are going to live forever. <laughs> You are going to live forever. Because of Jesus Christ, you are going to live forever with him in heaven. Amen? Now that was some serious stuff. <laughs> you heard about the preacher and the taxi grab driver. I'm going to ruin the whole stuff by telling you a joke. Okay, I'm going to ruin the whole moment. Taxi cab driver and a preacher show up at heaven the same time. And St. Peter takes them down the streets of glory and gives the taxi cab driver this beautiful mansion downtown heaven. And in the outskirts of heaven, he drops the preacher off at this little shack. Now, you know this is not true, okay? Because everyone's got the same, you know. Right. But anyhow, he drops the preacher off at this outside skirts of heaven. And the preacher says, St. Peter, there's got to be a mistake here. I'm a preacher. And a taxi drive driver, driver, he got the big house downtown. Where's mine? And St. Peter says, well, let's look here. He says, well, when he drove, people prayed, and when you preached, people slept. <laughs> let's stand. We're going to live forever. We're going to live forever. 
Echo the Word of God in your life. Echo the Word of God in your life. Echo the Word of God in your life. No matter what happens, echo the Word of God in your life. Amen? Amen. We're going to echo the Word of God. Believe it, and we shall receive it. Let God, He is touched with whatever touches your life. He feels it, He understands it, and He will work in your life. Amen? Amen. Father, we are eternally grateful. We are eternally grateful for the life you have given us here and now. There are things we don't understand. There are obstacles that we face. There are difficulties that come and go, but always your word is our security and our hope. Echo it in our lives, we pray. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, we ask. Everyone said... Amen. Amen. You can stir around a little bit.